Welcome to Earth Matters on Gila Members Community Radio, KURU at 89.1 FM, and Las Cruces Community Radio, KTAL LP at 101.5 FM. I'm Donna Stevens, your host for today's program and the Executive Director of the Upper Gila Watershed Alliance, a local nonprofit working to protect the Gila watershed through advocacy, education, and restoration. On today's show, I'm joined by two guests, Carol Ann Fugali and Mike Fugali. Carol Ann is the Education and Outreach Director of the Upper Gila Watershed Alliance, and her husband, Mike, is a climate activist and the eco-monitoring coordinator for Aldo Leopold Charter School. You may have heard them before on Earth Matters talking about a huge topic for them personally and for all of us, climate change. Welcome, Carol Ann and Mike. Hi, Donna. I'm glad you could join me today. Uh, Carol Ann will be with us in the second half of the show. She is in the background somewhere, but we'll be hearing from her soon. Mike, I wanted to start the show with you giving us the big picture about the twin crises of climate change and biodiversity loss. Uh, Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Thanks for having us uh, back on Earth Matters, Donna. And as always, Carol and I are excited to have this opportunity to update uh, your Kuru listeners, uh, specifically, I guess, about UGWA's youth-focused Thinking on the Mountain project, and more generally here at the beginning to provide a science-based update on our planetary climate and biodiversity crises. So uh, I guess I'm going to start like Vice President Al Gore always does uh, when he gives his climate reality presentations with, uh, you know, the bad news. He always breaks it up into must we change? Can we change? Will we change? And so uh, let me start with uh, some of the hard realities that we're facing. And quite simply, uh, we are running out of time. Uh, We now have unequivocal evidence that we have entered a really decisive decade for humanity's future. And if we really have any chance at all to prevent the loss of more than a million species, for example, we must uh, halt biodiversity loss now, not in 20 or 30 years. Uh, If we want any chance at all of keeping global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, above pre-industrial levels, which is really, you know, as far as we can go uh, before things get really dangerous, we need to cut emissions by half over the next nine years. Uh, You know, we just lost a year because of the pandemic. So this is the shortest decade in human history, (laughs) nine years. Uh, So we are facing, I think, what can only be described appropriately as an emergency. But, you know, you don't have to take my word for that. I'm just here today as a reporter. (laughs) I'm not a climate scientist. Kind of like Greta Thunberg, the now famous Swedish climate activist, youth activist, uh, when she talks to world leaders, she always says, uh, don't listen to me, listen to the science. So the first really big piece of news that I wanted to share with uh, Kuru listeners today is that in April of this year, a world record 126 Nobel laureates officially declared a planetary emergency uh, at the Nobel Prize Summit, issuing an emergency call from science to humanity, uh, calling for reason, truth, and humanism uh, to guide us in a global transformation towards a more equitable and prosperous future within planetary boundaries. I'm not going to talk a lot about planetary boundaries on this particular program, but maybe in the future, we'll talk about what those really mean. 
Yeah, there's a lot to say about climate change. I mean, we could talk for days about it. Uh, so we can only, you know, we only have a one hour show here, right? But right? What you're saying right now, Mike, I mean, it does not sound good. Before you continue, though, I want to ask you if you can speak just a little bit about what characterizes this particular moment as an emergency. I think that word kind of gets thrown around a lot. Haven't scientists known for at least three decades that human activity is destabilizing the climate and accelerating the collapse of ecosystems? I mean, why are the Nobel laureates speaking out now? Yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, I think it comes right back to that issue of time. I told you that, you know, like the old phrase, time is short and the river rises. Well, you know, time is short and the ocean rises. Really, though, an emergency, uh, when you dig down into what it means, an emergency is calculated uh, by risk divided by time. And risk itself is defined as probability multiplied by impact. And we now know unequivocally that the risk to humanity from climate change and mass extinction is really, really high. Uh, we also know that the probability of those impacts, if we stay on our current trajectory, is also extremely high. The timeline to catastrophic outcomes, for example, is now understood to be less than a decade. Uh, we have less than a decade to make radical societal transformations at a global scale. And I guess the upshot of that is if we stay on our current course through this coming decade, you know, we are extremely unlikely to remain under two degrees Celsius uh, global average temperature rise. Uh, you know, and that's going to take a little while. It's going to be maybe 30 or 40 years before that happens. But at that level of warming, uh, it's a real problem, uh, not only for us, but for the rest of the living world. I'm kind of curious about that two degrees Celsius number. I mean, you know, I think for a lot of people, this is confusing because if you think about two degrees, I mean, what? We have like a 30, 40 <laughs> temperature variation in one day, right? Right. So, so I, I do want to ask you to clarify that two degrees Celsius number. And I mean, I know that under the goal of the Paris Agreement, and thankfully we've rejoined the Paris Agreement now under President Biden's leadership, the goal of the Paris Agreement is to keep global average temperature rise under two degrees Celsius. So shooting for one and a half degrees Celsius, but what's so bad about two degrees? Can you talk about that? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, two degrees really doesn't seem like very much. When I was out, you know, on the Iron Bridge Preserve this morning with students from Elder Leopold, we could have used a little more. <laughs> two degrees would have been pretty nice around eight o'clock. Uh, but, you know, that two degrees is just an average. It doesn't let you see the extremes. Like if you've been looking at the news in recent days, like the Arctic is experiencing right now, in some cases, 20 degrees Celsius above average. Uh, it's just incredible what's happening in the Arctic right now. And that's what's leading to all that ice loss. But two degrees is a really big deal, uh, even regionally. Uh, you know, uh, I think I've told you this before, but two degrees is really a tipping point for the coniferous forest in the Gila you know, all the way from spruce fir, all the way downhill uh, through uh, pinyon juniper, two degrees kills our coniferous forest. Uh, it's really uh, a bad outcome. And there is new research from the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research 
that shows that over the past three million years, the world has not once exceeded two degrees Celsius of warming. Can you imagine that in the last three million years? You know, we weren't even human uh, then. So the whole whole human project has been within that two degree band. And it stayed within that narrow band, not because, you know, of a gentle sun. The earth remained in that narrow range because of regulating feedbacks in the earth system. Things like ocean carbon uptake, uh, things like terrestrial carbon sinks and the albedo effects of the ice caps and so on. Uh, you know, those are all processes that are now being greatly disrupted by human-induced impacts. But I think that, you know, most importantly, and this is really key, and this is what really drives me, you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking about my, the life of my own child, what really drives me is that two degrees Celsius is the critical point that scientists believe we begin to lose our agency in determining our climate future. So I want to ask you two things sure. to clarify what you just said. First, I wonder if you can explain what the albedo effect is for people who don't know what that is. And then my other question is, when you say we begin to lose our agency, what exactly you mean? Right. So, uh, you know, the, the first one's pretty easy. Albedo is the amount of reflectivity of a surface. And so, uh, for instance, polar sea ice has really high reflectivity. So the sun beats down on it and all that energy is reflected back out to space. That tends to, that tends to keep the planet cool. That's why we think of the, you know, our, our polar ice caps as the refrigerators of the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but as those ice caps are lost and that sea ice melts, then the ocean surface is much, much darker and that absorbs energy, and it causes increased heating. It's a positive feedback loop. And so, you know, uh, losing our white-surfaced ice on the planet is a really big deal. Let's see, you asked about agency, human agency. uh, Human agency just means our ability to affect change. So right now, you know, most scientists believe that if we got our I was I was just about to say a word that I couldn't say, but if we got our act together and we really tackled these problems in a really big way, chances are we could still affect the outcome, uh, you know, of our climate future. But once you hit that two degree mark, the planet starts taking over. The planet has its own processes that are beyond human control, and if we go beyond that two degrees. Uh, Mark, you know, uh, uh, we're just sort of along for the ride from there on out. Right. Um, Okay. Thanks for clarifying those. Sure. I mean, I know I've heard I've heard you talk about this before. You've been on the show in the past talking about climate change, and you've talked about the two degrees of warming, and uh, you know that's the hot the hot house Earth hypothesis. You know, beyond that two degrees of warming, we could initiate what's called a tipping point cascade, and our planet could start drifting towards that uninhabitable hothouse state that's beyond our ability to manage, like what you just explained. Right. There was a paper that came out in 2018, I think, about the hothouse Earth hypothesis. In the three years since that has come out, has there been any new evidence to support that hothouse earth theory? Uh, well, the, the answer, unfortunately, is yes. There is a lot of new science, Donna, that it's really hard to even keep up with, even for, you know, even the top-notch earth climate scientists. 
Uh, and the hypothesis still stands. It's not like it's been debunked in any way. So just in the past few years, unfortunately, we have passed uh, three really important tipping points already. Arctic summer ice, uh, tropical coral reef systems, which are probably the first biome on the planet to actually just collapse because of climate change. You, we've all heard about that, the, you know, the dying of the Great Barrier Reef and you know, corals all over the world are in huge trouble. And, you know, that's so problematic because, you know, <laughs> they provide the breeding grounds for so much biodiversity, including the fish that feeds about 1.5 billion people. So it's a real problem. And also uh, parts of the West Antarctic have also uh, reached those tipping points. In other words, the latest science is showing us that they have reached the point of no return. And uh, we are also seeing uh, evidence uh, recently of a weakening, weakening of the Atlantic meridional overturning circulation. Took me a long time to be able to say that word meridional. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it just that's, doesn't that's come out easy. Right uh, most people just say AMOC, I think, A-M-O-C. Okay. Uh, it's an effect of ice melt from Greenland and the Arctic that reduces the salinity and temperature gradient uh, between those warmer, salty waters that flow north from the equator and the colder, less salty waters uh, in the North Atlantic. And uh, that, in turn, is slowing ocean and atmospheric currents with impacts on all sorts of regional climate systems, such as, really importantly, the Amazon monsoon. Also, that slower flow of warm water from the south to the north can also explain why the Southern Ocean is warming so fast. And that, in turn, is leading to accelerated melting of the West Antarctic ice sheet, including what they call the Thwaites Glacier, the Doomsday Glacier, that acts as a plug for all the glaciers that are behind it. So we're afraid now that the Thwaites Glacier has crossed that tipping point. And so all that ice that it's holding in place is going to make its way down and sea levels will rise because of it. And so these cascades that we're talking about, how one tipping point leads to another, are core features of a potential drift to that hothouse earth state, unfortunately. I guess I should also, since I mentioned uh, the Amazon, I wanted to note that just this week I read that you know, under the failed leadership of Jar Bolsonaro, the president in Brazil, uh, new research has just shown that in the last decade, the last 10 years, the Brazilian Amazon has flipped from one of the Earth's most important carbon sinks. We all we already know that it's a you know home to so much biodiversity, but in terms of its ability to absorb carbon and you know provide resilience for us in the planet, it has shifted from a carbon sink to a carbon source, and it is now a net emitter of carbon. And to most climate scientists that I've read, that is extremely worrisome. Yeah, that sounds really depressing, Mike. We do need to take a short break here, but I want to assure our listeners that when we come back from the break, we're going to have some more um, news that, some good news, some recent news that are actually hopeful. <laughs> So uh, you're listening to Earth Matters on KURU at 89.1 FM and KTAL LP at 101.5 FM in Las Cruces. Please stay with us after this break so you can hear about some recent hopeful developments on the climate front. 